Also, too, I know he would, uh, Daryl mentioned the Silent Siege. We had it yesterday, which was awesome, and thank you for everyone who came out for that. But also, I just made a Facebook page. Page, I think that's what it's called. I'm not a Facebook person, so I'm learning. Um, But go ahead, it's Bound for Life Boston. So if you want to like us, you'll get the updates. We have Izzy doing a blog for us. It'll be really cool. So like us, you'll know what's going on. You'll be on the in and the haps of what's happening. So go ahead and do that and share it. Recommend it. I don't have Facebook, so I'm depending on you guys to spread the word. Um, I am preaching today. Yes. Um, I'm going to share something that's actually been on my heart. The Lord's been dealing with it um, in my own heart. And of course, I feel like I was going to preach on something else, but he encountered me. Thank you, Jesus. Um, just with the, with the, what I'm going to bring to you guys today um, over the past couple of weeks. So um, if you guys were here even Saturday, you probably got a little taste of even what I'm going to be preaching on. So I'm actually just going to open us up in prayer because I need him. Um, Jesus, we just ask that your presence would be in this place. Father, I just recognize even my need for you. Holy Spirit, come and use me today. God, use me tonight, Lord. Father, I ask God that you would go beyond anything that I could say. God, anything that I could articulate, Lord. And I ask God that you would penetrate our hearts here in this place. God, even if it's one word, Lord, that pierces our heart, Lord, we welcome your Holy Spirit. God, we welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God, we welcome your transforming power in our lives. I just have everyone place their hands on their ears. Lord, we just welcome the voice of the Holy Spirit. God, break off anything that would hinder your word. God, break off anything that is blocking our ears. God, any dullness within us. God, we welcome your Holy Spirit to speak to us and change us and transform us. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start us in uh, James 4, actually. It's a familiar topic, a familiar scripture, I believe, for most of us if we have been Christians for even, I'm sure, six months to a year. We have heard this Um, before. But I'm going to break it down to the best of my capabilities. I'm not one just to kind of give you guys a forewarning or a uh, insight a little bit into my life. I am not one who studies. (laughs) I resisted it with ample force all through my high school years. I went to college because I was bored. I had nothing else better to do, so I went to school. And um, it still wasn't that uh, much. uh, No, I went to school for fashion merchandising. (laughs) So it didn't take a lot for me. Um, But uh, I just to kind of, I'm going to go through it line by line. That's, I think, the easiest way. But just have grace on me. I'm going to explain it to the best of my notes have given me. But we're going to just start in James 4 and read till about verse 10. Um, It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your own desires for pleasure that that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I feel like I could just leave it there and let the others chew on that for a second. But I'm just going to go back to verse 1 and kind of take it apart a little bit for us. Um, So bear with me. I'm going to do my best here. But I know Jesus is faithful to use our weak words. Um, 
in the first verse, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And just going through this and meditating on it, and even something which I'll get into as I share, uh, just what the Lord has been speaking to me is this um, really breaks, really shows the place of where fights and strife come from. You know, I'm really going to be focusing on pride versus humility, ultimately, and even how God opposes the proud. And it, I'm just in this first verse, it really ultimately shows where the root of it is. Like, even if you're seeing that in your life, like, I don't know if some of us, I know it manifests for me very clearly in my own heart, in my family. I see it more in my family because they're the closest ones to you. There's a different comfort level. But here it, it says, where do wars and fights come from, from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Fights come from the desire for your own. The desire for your own pleasures. And if you look at this, the desire is ultimately sin. If you look in Romans 7, it says sin wages war against us. It wages war within our members. And if we ultimately, when you think about it, if we were free of sin, specifically the topic I'm talking about is the sin of pride. If we were free of the sin of pride, there would be no fighting. There would be no wars. There would be no bickering. There would be no strife. And um, I, one thing I was reading this, because I'm a very vocal person. Before the Lord, I was very angry, and in that I was very verbally angry. I did not have volume. I had no reserve when I got angry. Um, it was not a pretty sight. But I also, in that, you know, usually we think of wars and fighting in that sense of more of an outward fighting or yelling or however way it manifests. But one thing I was thinking about because, and I asked my dad permission to share this, but my dad's one who is a bit, bit more reserved. He doesn't respond to strife or anger in the sense of lashing out, but he more withdraws himself and kind of wants to push it away. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And just even thinking of that, um, you, know, you know, we so often want to go to the place of defense even within our minds. You know, we might not necessarily defend ourselves. I'm verbal, I'm Italian, I got it in me, I talk with my hands and I shout really loud. Um, but I know some of us may not respond that way, some of us may withdraw. But in our minds, the thing that I want to kind of present to you is what's going on in the mind. You know, what's that defense that's playing in your mind? You might not be lashing out at that person, but you're lashing out inwardly. And the Lord sees that. And just going on to... Verse 2, it says, You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And going through, listening to this and kind of like seeing like, okay, like if fighting and warring comes from ultimately my own desire for my own pleasures, my own satisfaction, what I believe is right, what I believe is wrong, whatever that may be, it's coming from that place, and then it goes into you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And it's going, okay, I find that I'm fighting and I'm warring, and, and I think sometimes we so go, oh, I'll just bite my tongue. I'm just going to bite my tongue. I'm just going to resist this. I'm not going to do what I normally do. And so we, and, and, and we almost try that within our own strength. You know, and, it, and that's the, it even says you fight, and the Greek word for fighting is striving. You know, we're striving for something, whatever that may be. And, um, you know, it says you murder and you covet. And we may not be murderers here, but the root of murder is even anger. You know, it's a place of anger and hate. And even if there's a remote sense of, I mean, the closest thing I can relate it to is anger towards a brother that rises within us. And that is the spirit of murder. Because you want to tear down someone else to ultimately make yourself feel better in whatever way that is. And um, just going through this, you know, I, I honestly was challenged with the thought of, do I really think higher than other people? I may present something. I may present a certain outward manifestation of it. But what is actually going on in my mind? What are actually the thoughts 
going on in my mind. And I, and I hope you guys are staying with me. I'm trying to pre- present kind of the argument to present the solution. So bear with me here. And when you go into verse 3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. That's pretty heavy when you think about it, because how many times do we go to the place of prayer and go, why aren't you answering my prayer? Why aren't you answering my prayer? You know, how often I've gone to the place of prayer and been like, can you just open this person's eyes to see? Like, they don't see it right. They got to see it the way I see it. And I think that's what um, I believe James was saying here, is you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you would actually spend it on your own pleasures. You know, and it's like, I mean, sometimes I've prayed for people and like, God, open their eyes to see, give them revelation, give them hearing, give them understanding. And ultimately, it's, it's out of the place of pride that I would actually be like, yeah, see, I told you. I told you I was right. I told you this was the way. And even if it's truth or not, sometimes the Lord will actually not answer that prayer because the motive that's coming forth out of that is off. It's totally 100% off. And um, it even says, you know, in, in 1 um, John 5, it says, ask according to his will and he will hear us. And first question I want to say is, do we even ask, number one? Because I know some of us go off and reserve ourselves and think of all of the things bad about the situation, about the person, about what's going on, defending ourselves, whether you know, inwardly or outwardly, whatever that looks like. So that's the first question I want to pose is, do we even ask? Do we ask that the Lord would move and give revelation? But going a step further is I, I want to even say, like, when we're upset and we go to prayer, and I'm talking whether it be about a circumstance, about a relationship, about a work situation, I mean, a whole, your pastor, your church leader, whoever it may be, whatever it may be, is do we go to the place of prayer and almost put on this thing of, I'm praying for this person, and is it truly prayer? Is it truly prayer out of the posture of humility that you truly love this person, that you truly care for this person, that at the end of the day, who cares who's right and who's wrong? But at the end of the day, is it, God, I want to see this person delivered and set free out of humility that I am weak and in need just as much as the other person. And um, just, I actually wrote in my notes, I said, beware lest you take sides with the accuser of the brethren. You know, I read something, and I hope it's a theological thing, and I just thought it was interesting, but I read, read this excerpt that said, you know, every picture of heaven that you read in the Bible or every experience that you might have even encountered or hear people testify of visions of heaven. I mean, they, there's nothing that says that they see the enemy before the throne of God. There's nothing in that. And, you know, but then there is scripture that says, the accuser of the brethren stands before the throne of God. And I read this excerpt, and I hope I don't butcher it, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Is he, said, he said, you know how the enemy accuses? The brethren before the throne of God is he actually uses our members because we are kings and priests before the throne of God. And when we stand before the throne of God, it's actually demonic activity that's going on when we're accusing our brethren of something. And I thought that was really interesting because the enemy can actually operate through our sin nature and stand as an accuser of the brethren. And how often I've gone to the place of prayer to pray for my brothers and sisters, or to pray for my boss, and ultimately I'm standing there accusing them before God. And I'm taking sides with the enemy. And that, I think, we should really just weigh in our hearts. I had to weigh it in my own heart. And um, he goes on in verse 4, and says, Adulterers and adulteresses. That means apostate. And what apostate means is one who abandons his religious faith. That when we actually pray according to our own desires, our own sin nature, and hear me, God is full of grace, we're getting to that part. But when we pray to God 
in the place of accusation, in the place of pointing the finger, in the place of not even recognizing our own lack of taking the log out of our own eye before we pick the speck out of our brothers, is that he actually, it's actually abandoning the very faith that we've come to. The very faith of laying down your life for another. The very faith of that cry that we are to be like Christ, who came to serve and not be served, who was the one that hung on the cross and said, "Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do." How easy it would have been for Jesus to stand there and accuse. Every, I mean, sin was running rampant. Sin is what put Christ on the cross hugely. There's multiple theo theological things you could say what put Christ on the cross. But sin was what put Christ on the cross. He came to die for our sin. He came to save us. And how easily he could have sent an accusation against us or accused us, but instead he took the very posture of humility, the very posture of servanthood, and said, forgive them for they don't even know what they do. Not once did a word of accusal come out of his mouth. Not once. Not before God. Not before man. And that's even what... I feel I've been challenged with is not even just before man, the place of accusing, you know, the gossip thing, the, the bickering thing, but what is happening in the inner chambers of your heart before God. And um, I'll just share a little bit of my testimony is um, the Lord's been hugely working on me in the workplace over the past handful of years. He's used it as a place to form and fashion me, challenge me in uh, numerous areas. I could go on and on about it. But recently, I was really challenged with my heart attitude towards my boss. And who can attest it's hard to stay pure towards your boss sometimes? Um, but I, I can honestly say I, did, I, I have been, the Lord has formed in me a level of character that to not, you know, talk ill about my boss, but to bless him instead of curse him, to have an attitude of serving him, to have an attitude that um, re really is one who serves him. And But even within that, I was challenged of, okay, you might be biting your tongue, but what's coming up from your heart? You know, so often we can um, strive to do the right principle, or to do the right thing. But then all of a sudden when you really evaluate your heart posture of what's really happening inwardly. Because that's what God sees. He sees our hearts. He sees our motives. I mean, you even think about the, the scripture that said, which is pretty intense, of you, you did miracles in my name. You called upon my name. But depart from me for I did not know you. You know what that really, really comes down to is the heart attitude is you can do all the right stuff. You can look like a servant. You cannot look like a servant and actually have a great heart attitude, and the Lord sees that place of service. And, and just in that place of really striving to have the heart before the Lord that is pure and righteous. And um, that's, that was one thing that was really spoken to me. And, and going on in verse 4, I hope you guys are following me. Um, Verse 4, it says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Mm -hmm. And when you think of friendship with the world, if you look at Romans 8, it talks about being carnally minded. That that's actually friendship yeah. with the world. You know, it's not, I know some people are like, don't live in the world, but don't be of the world. And it's like, well kind of live in America, like, what do you want me to do? Like, yes, there is a place of separation. I'm fully in believing in that. But even in the place of at work, is there's a, you know, there's a dress code. You know, there's dress codes in certain areas. And we, there is a place where we might look like the world. But what, I, what James is saying is not friendship with the world in the sense of don't be friends with anybody of the world. We are here to be a light and to be friends Amen. with people that are unsaved and to see them come to the salvation of Christ. Amen. But what he's saying is no friendship with the world in the sense of don't be carnally minded. The world is led by their own lusts, their own desires, their own carnal thinking without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. 
That is, and so when we actually deny, basically, going back to verse 3, I have it all in my notes, and I like it better in my notes than my Bible, it's bigger. Going back to verse 3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers, you, you who have abandoned the faith, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? When you think about a, not, a non-believer that prays, is it not normally, I mean, interaction outside of crying out for the salvation of Christ, is it not usually praying that there would be self-satisfaction, there would be fulfillment of self, there, I mean, there, it's very carnally minded. It's very much fulfill my desires within me. Fulfill that. There is a level of truth. Christ is here to fulfill it, but they're going to fulfill it with a new car. Fulfill it with a boyfriend. Fulfill it with that. I want these things. Or would you speak to this person and come and change them so that I can have the promotion? So that I can have this? So that I can do It's all out of the place of do this for me, God, so that I can be ultimately made great. That's ultimately what it is. And that's what he's saying. You've abandoned the faith. When we do that, is it's actually a place of operating from our carnal nature when we are created as new creations in Christ. And, um, you know, it says enmity, and it, it actually means, it's a hostile, it means, I'm, I use, I actually studied, woo, glory. Um, enmity says, it means hostile and in opposition of. That when you are operating in that place, you're actually opposing God. You're pushing God away when we operate in that mindset. Um, on that note, Romans six sixteen. It's, it, let's turn to Romans 6.16. 6, 6.16 in Romans says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? You know, and in this verse where it says friendship with the world is enmity with God and whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, it brought me back to that verse of who you give yourself to is who you actually are a slave unto. You know, and it's, it really comes down to the place of obedience and humility before the Lord. It comes down to let, I'm going to take the low road. I'm going to take the posture of humility and actually bless rather than curse my brother and speak highly of them and, 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 go, and be before the Lord of even recognizing my own weakness and my own lack. Yeah. That we would be slaves to righteousness, yeah. not slaves to sin. Because pride is a sin. Going into verse 5, it says, Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. He wants all of us, not just part of us. It's his kindness towards us that he puts people and circumstances in our way to draw out what's keeping us from him. You know, I was talking to um, my brother, actually. The Lord is doing amazing things in my family. Every day I see it more and more, the testimony of God and the transforming power that he has and I'm um, talking with my brother, and he actually had a situation at work. And um, it, was, it was a tough situation. I love referring to work because it's real for all of us, I think. There was one form or another where it hits home. And, um, you know, I was talking to him, and he was having an issue. And, you know, kind of going, you know, practicing preaching with my brother. It's great. Sharing with him what the Lord was um, doing in my own heart and just what he's done in my heart over the years. But ultimately getting to the place of, like, when you actually begin to humble yourself, 
And I'm not talking about just someone that's over you. It could be a peer. It could be someone even younger than you. But when you actually humble yourself and take the posture of serving them, that no matter how difficult that person may be or how difficult even the circumstance, rather than bucking against the goads, you, when, no matter how difficult it may be, that you actually, when you see it in this perspective and in this light, that, um, that ultimately it's the desire for the Lord after your heart. That the, the hard person that you're dealing with at work or the situation maybe at school or the difficult professor or the difficult sibling or parent or whatever it looks like in your life, that you actually, when you look at it and go, Lord, you're after my heart. You're after my heart in this moment. When I love my, again, I'm going to use family because it's the hardest place to stay humble, let me tell you. It is the most difficult because you can be super transparent with your family. And, um, you know, there's so many times where, and again, I'm Italian, my whole family is Italian, we do not throw anything under the rug. If there is an elephant in the room, we point it out, tell you how big it is, the dimensions of it, what color it is. I mean, we pull it out. And um, with that, you know, it's, it's so easy to, no, I see it this way. When some person's standing on this side of the elephant and one person's standing on this side of the elephant, and I'm telling them my perspective, and they're telling me their perspective, and we're having an argument back and forth about what the elephant looks like, when we're really just seeing from a totally different perspective. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, when you're sitting in those places of going back and forth with people, or back and forth in your mind, or back and forth of how you think something should be or not be, or how someone should have been or not been, is when we take that place of humility, all of a sudden our perspective changes, and you can actually go, thank you, God, for this circumstance. Thank you, God, for this difficult person. Because it's you're good, you're jealous for me. You're so, he is so jealous for me that every time I go home, no matter how great I think I am at responding to my boss well, or responding to my friends well, I can go home and I was like, I am not responding that well. I am not good at this. I can look at it, and instead of coming, there is a conviction of going, Lord, transform my heart. Change me. But on the flip side, it's not condemnation, because all of a sudden, there's a heart of thanks of going, thank you, God, for my father, who I completely disagree with on this issue, but it's for your good. Because you want to change me. Amen. You want to transform me. And no longer are you looking at that person going, they're doing it wrong. They're not saying it right. They're not doing this. But it's actually going, wow, this is where, even if they're 100% wrong, and what you're seeing is 100% right, it changes your whole Amen. perspective. It changes everything. And you all of a sudden go, God, it's your, your jealous. It's the spirit who dwells in us that's yearning jealously for us. And all of a sudden, all of this, when you humble yourselves, which is what James is getting at, is he says, you want to get rid of fighting? You want to get rid of wars? You want to get rid of lusts? You want to get rid of striving? You want to actually start seeing answers to your prayers? Then humble yourself. You want to see an area in your life where you want full deliverance from? I mean, you want to see these Things operate in our lives, we want to see the fullness of God in our lives, then humble yourself. Put yourself before the Lord and say, God, do I am weak, but you are strong. I am not going to fight. I am not going to strive. I'm not going to do all of that to try to prove what I think is right, even if I'm fighting for truth. And going, Lord, it's up to you to change this person because there's definitely areas of deception in my heart. And there's probably things I do to people that bugs the living daylights out of them. And I don't see it. So I can sit here and point out why this person bothers me, but I'm sure there's many things in my life that bother other people. Tori's like, uh-huh, I really <laughs> <laughs> Going on to verse 6, it says, But he gives more grace. He gives us grace. And that's the thing is, you know, even through this, it's like, well, how do I do that? 
how do I actually, you know, it says, well, don't, you know, I, I said, you know, don't just bite your tongue, but actually allow your heart to transform. And it's like, well, I've been, that's what actually got to me is I was like, I got this video and read it, watching it, I was like, I'm doing all that stuff. I'm not, I am biting my tongue. I'm not saying that. I'm doing this. And it was like riling up within me. And I'm like, ah, oh, like you're kicking me while I'm down. I'm doing that. Like it's not working. And, um, our lovely pastor, Bethany, said to me, she goes, well, you're biting your tongue, but what's going on inside? Like, what's actually happening? And I'm like, hmm, about that. <laughs> and it really, it was, you know, I was doing the outward things, and the Lord was good in that. I mean, there is testimony of the Lord responding, of making the right decision, and don't stop doing that. But there was a deeper level that he was like, Crystal, I want your heart I want your heart to be pure. I want your heart to be before me, not before man. And you can do all the right things, but where's your heart before me? Because I see you when you get in your car after work and you start going off and the complaining. You might not be complaining to a person, but I'm hearing it. And I get it. We all have to vent to the Lord, and he loves that too, so hear me on that. Um, but it's more on the fact of it's out of the place of wanting to see yourself glorified. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And on that, I mean, in 6, he says, but. But he gives more grace. And that really comes down to the cross. You know, even what I was saying earlier, um, of being before, you know, being with my parents or whatever, I'm just going to use that example, you know, being with my parents where I might be, you know, fighting against what they're saying or disagreement or whatever. I mean, we have theological debates in my family. That's what we do. Um, <laughs> so it's like when we when we do that, you know, it's it, it, I go, God, like how many times I walk away and I'm like, oh, why can't I get this right? Why can't I respond accurately? Why can't I respond rightly? Why can't I do this? And instead, of, and I know a lot of us, you know, when we read this first half, these first, you know, five verses in James, you know, so often it's like, yeah, but how do we do this? How? Like, I feel like I'm trying, and I feel like I'm, try, you know, doing all the right things and what Scripture says, but why am I not feeling this transforming, actually, fullness of it happen in my heart? Why is it every time I go and have a conversation, I preach on it one day, and then I go home, and I'm like, did I just preach on this? Like, what's your problem? Like, and um, instead of coming underneath condemnation in that area, of actually looking at it, that it's the Holy Spirit within us and welcoming that. You know, I, I have fought over it with the years of not coming under condemnation, but coming under conviction. And so often we push conviction away, saying, oh, it's condemning, it's condemning, it's condemning. I really believe that, there, that we so confuse condemnation with conviction. Yeah. And therefore we push it all aside and say, I'm under the blood, I'm under the blood. And we are under the blood. But with that, it's actually His grace. It's under the blood that actually gives us the power Amen. to respond accurately. So when that happens, it goes to the place of, Lord, I'm sorry, teach me, change my heart, and go back and, and respond rightly the next time. And my heart, and over time, your heart actually begins to change and transform. That your natural response actually becomes that of, of humility, that of one who uplifts and edifies, of one who's not trying to prove what he thinks is right, whatever it may be. Let me see here. Are you guys following me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Matthew 5, one of my favorite verses, um, says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It says, I, I mean... I, I looked it up, and it's actually one who rises to power or is an heir of something. Blessed are the meek. And meek is really the um, simile of humility. And, I mean, he says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are they who are humble, because they will actually rise to power. 
And there's this, um, I love it, and if you can ever get it, it's on Corey Russell's CD. It's an old CD, but Alan Hood has an excerpt on it where he just talks about, you want to pull down principalities and powers? You want to see something change? He says, respond with humility. Because that you're fighting a spiritual war. And, it, it, you know, we so often think, oh, it's in the place of prayer, of name it and claim it, and tear down this and tear down that. And then you go home and you're like, why is this still here? And it's like, I thought I just broke this spirit. And it's like, you know, yes, we do that. And we pray for that. And we pray for, I mean, prayer is powerful. But out of that place of prayer, of walking in the place of meekness and humility, because you're actually changing atmospheres. When I go home or when I go to my boss, to my work, and, you know, I'm before people, you know, whether it be work or play or school or whatever, when you're before men, that actually your response is fighting the good fight. Your response is actually spiritual warfare. The po- this response of your heart is actually warf- doing warfare. And you can either side with Christ, Or you can side with the accuser of the brethren. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He actively opposes the proud. To resist means to exert force in opposition of, or to exert oneself as to counteract. So when there's areas of pride in our lives... There is actually a wall that you've put up for how much God can respond. Because he actively opposes pride. He resists it. And if there's pride, and that's why it says give more grace, because he gives us grace. He gives us, he is so gracious towards us. Because there is pride that we, I mean, what is it David says? He's like, even the hidden sins within me. The sins that I don't even see. The sins that I'm not even aware of. The sins of pride and areas where it, where it affects my day-to-day that I don't even recognize or see. But yet God still answers us and all that. But I, I want to say if there is an area that we want to see freedom or deliverance in our lives, is I highly, highly challenge you, is question your heart. Bring your heart before the Lord and place it on the altar and say, is there any pride within my heart? And, and pride can manifest itself in so many ways. I mean, it can, I could go on and on about how pride can manifest it. Like even what I said, if it could be an active outward thing, or it could be a total withdrawal. And um, God actually resists that. Um, going back, I was kind of starting to share it earlier with my father. He was actually, we went out for Father's Day, and we had a really good conversation, and he was telling me how, you know, there's financial troubles within my family. There's definitely a place of um, struggle in that area with my parents. And, um, you know, just always crying out to the Lord for breakthrough, crying out to the Lord for deliverance in that area, just asking God to intervene because um, they've done it all right. You know, they've done the giving, the tithing, they've served the Lord. They have, you know, through struggle, they have continually submitted themselves to the Lord. And um, my dad said to me, he's like, you know, Crystal, he's like, it's funny, which is awesome, because this is what I was studying when I talked to him. He's like, God resists the proud. He resists the proud. And he all of a sudden was like, I realize all of a sudden that there's pride in my heart that's actually preventing the breakthrough of God in my life. Because I tend to get bitter or angry and push back rather than humbling myself before the Lord that he would actually give grace. He gives more grace to the humble. I wrote here, I said, uh, we must resist the urge to defend ourselves, and we need to silence the voice in us, the little lawyer, as Francis, Francis Frangipane calls it. This instinct, to stand up for our, this instinct to stand up for ourselves, humble yourself when you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you. When you rile against something, it is often the Holy Spirit. When you feel something rub against you the wrong way, it's probably the Holy Spirit. Don't push it away and try to come up with ways to justify yourself or to even scripturally back you up. But Christ is your only advocate. Humble yourself 
and repent. Submit to God. This is true warfare. And just, I mean, that, that it, I mean, what I was saying is, it, it is warfare that you're doing in the spirit. You're, you're, you're taking on the posture of Christ. Going on, on that, going into verse 7, it says, Therefore, to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I put a little, uh, I don't even know what it's called, a uh, math thing, like submit plus resist equals flee. Right? Simple. <laughs> Therefore, to some equation. Thank you. See? I fought against school, guys. <laughs> I still count on my fingers. <laughs> um, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We can't just resist the devil. He's not going anywhere when we do that. There has to be the first before the second to equal the third. You have to come to a place of fully submitting yourself to the Lord. I mean, you can look in Old Testament over and over and over again of all the times they went to war, they went to war, they went to war. At the end of the day, God's like, will you just trust me? Because I'm going to fight the war for you. Just stop fighting, stop striving, you know, do it this way or whatever he would do with whichever one you're talking, whatever battle you want to talk about, is he ultimately was like, let me fight this war for you. All you have to do is submit to my ways. And I'll win the battle for you. That's all it comes down to. When I'm fighting with my boss or with my family members or with my friend or whatever it may be, fighting outwardly or fighting inwardly in my car by myself, you know, making all my little debates, the little lawyer that we want to say to justify ourselves, is it comes down to the place, are we going to submit to God? that he'll actually fight that battle for us. And that's actually doing warfare, is it's coming to the place of submitting to him, walking in obedience, and the Lord can bless us beyond anything we can imagine. I'm going to read something for you guys out of a book that I highly recommend. It's called The Three Battlegrounds by Francis. Francis, it's a tongue twister. Francis Frangipane. Um... It's amazing, it's, it's wrecking me, and I love it. Um, he actually was speaking on this scripture, and he was talking about the fall of Peter, how ultimately Christ, you know, you can relate it to even Job, of how, but mostly Peter in the situation of how Jesus gave permission to the enemy for him to sift Peter as wheat. And um, he said the trip wire that Satan used to cause Peter's fall was the disciples' own sin of pride. Let us recognize before we do warfare that the areas we hide in darkness are the very areas of our future defeat. Often the battles we face will not cease until we discover and repent for the darkness that is within us. If we will be effective in spiritual warfare, we must be discerning of our own hearts. We must walk humbly with our God. Our first course of action must be submit to God. Then, as we resist the devil, he will flee. The good news for Peter and ourselves is that Satan will never be given permission to destroy the saints. Rather, he is limited to sifting them like wheat. There is wheat inside each of us. The outcome of this type of satanic assault, which is allowed through the permissive will of God, is to cleanse the soul of pride and produce greater meekness and transparency in our lives. And that's going back to even what I was saying, if you'll actually begin to thank God for the circumstance or that person who's in your life that's creating resistance or stirring things up in you that you didn't even think were still there. And it's actually the grace of God in us, towards us that he would actually present us these trials and tribulations that we can actually rejoice in the midst of them. And thank God that he would actually bring up something that's challenging, that's challenging us, that's challenging our motives, that's challenging our hearts. Verse 8, it says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. I'm getting, I should stay with this. 
Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, when going through this, I was looking at, you know, I, I was even brought back to the very foundation of our salvation. You know, it's, it's, it's claiming Christ as our Lord was giving up our own rights. You know, it was a place of repentance and turning to the Lord, just even for the basis of salvation. I mean, without repentance, there is no salvation. You have to repent and say, not my ways, but your ways. You know, no longer will I follow my sin, but I'm going to follow you. It's a place of repentance that even brings forth the fruit of salvation in our lives. And, you know, so often I feel like we think that it ends at salvation, and I've repented, and I've done this, and, you know, I was very much, you know, I came to the Lord, and it was like radical change, like everything in my life radically changed, everything was turned upside down. And, you know, as things kind of taper out, for lack of better words, and you start getting like, I'm doing this, this pretty well, like I'm walking with the Lord. But just, at, I, I really believe, like, just as we think we've attained to something, is the very moment that we realize we haven't attained much at all. You know, and in Joel 2, it says, you know, humble ourselves, repent, that he may pour out his spirit on us. You know, and, and going back to what I was saying is he desires to pour out his spirit on you in every area of your life. And the biggest thing I can say is be one who is quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, be one who, you know, I was thinking about it like, you know, when we, you know, it says in, in Matthew where it says, you know, be quick to agree with your adversary lest he bring you before the judge. And how often we can be accused of something, and even if a little, little part of that accusation is accurate, even if 99.9% .9 of that accu accusation is totally off, not our heart motive, not whatever, but there is an accusation brought against us, that if we can be quick to agree with our adversary, even in that little part, and humble ourselves and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for doing that to you. I really could have not done that. Or I'm so sorry for holding that against you. But it's a posture of humility and we're being quick to side with Christ in the place of blessing rather than cursing. And really the answer um, is, you know, it's the place of repentance. That's a posture of humility. It's a place of repentance. It's the place of recognizing our need, recognizing our lack, recognizing that nothing in and of ourselves is good outside of God. And that will cease striving with men. That will cease, um, I think, a lot of issues that rise within our lives. And um, going, go, you know, just thinking about it, we actually place a ceiling. I, I'm going to use another example as I close up. Is... Um, you know, I was, I was talking with my brother years ago, and um, he was living with his girlfriend. He had just started coming back to the Lord, and he was like, you know, why isn't God answering my prayer? Why isn't God answering my prayer? And I understand him being like, well, it's because you're living in sin. <laughs> you're living in sin. God can only bless you so much when you're living in sin. You have to come to a place of humility and repentance, and it releases heaven over your life. And I just want to encourage us all. Um, I know we live in a city that is full of pride, full of arrogance, full of the attitude of, I've been to this school, I have this degree, I have that, and I know, I know, <laughs> What's, what is and what isn't, you know, there's, there's a pride there, and I just, my prayer is, and I hope it's been rightly um, articulated for you guys to be able to get what I'm saying, is, you know, I want to see us as a community of people I desire in my own life, and I desire us as a community to really be a light in this city. 
And that's going to be taking, like, in a city where there's so much pride, where there's so much um, arrogance, even, and just striving for knowledge and striving for fame. You know, it's written even within our whole nation. It's human nature, ultimately. But, you know, in an area where that is a huge, huge issue of us being light to in our workplace, of being light in our schools or to our families and taking that posture of humility and putting on Christ, that we would be quick to agree with our adversary, quick to, you know, I would, on that note, because like, I know we can get into, you know, debates sometimes, I was talking with um, this kid that I work with, and, you know, he brought, you know, he knows where I stand and everything, and he brought up the church that will, like, you know, hate her, like, you know, you go, you know, homosexuals go to hell or whatever it may be, or, you know, just things that he experienced, even like he went to a Catholic school, and just things that he experienced from the church, and, you know, I'm not going to sit there and down the church with him, but on the flip side, recognizing, yeah, we definitely screwed up. We've definitely, as a church, messed up and actually stood and apologized yeah. to my coworker on behalf of the church mm-hmm. because of what's been presented to him that's actually created you know, a level of resistance to God in his own life. And um, I just, I, I really want to, you know, have you guys really understand that God is a resistor of the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to prove where you're right You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You don't have to prove anything to your boss. When you change your heart, there is actually a complete change that happens in your workplace. There will be a complete change that happens, whether it's your finances or your family or work, needing a job or whatever it may be, that as we humble ourselves before the Lord, He's going to give us ample, ample amounts of grace to walk it out and to continue. Um... So that wraps it up for me. Um, I just hope you guys really got that because I, again, I desire us to to walk in a place of humility and see God transform us and change us and really see impacts that we're crying out for here in this city. said it better myself, probably wouldn't have said it better myself, <laughs> but um, it's good to reflect on these topics, isn't it? You know, when you think of that statement that James makes where God opposes the proud, <laughs> but gives grace to the humblest. I don't see much in the New Testament God, God uh, rejecting or opposing something, but, um, you know, and I, I think automatically our minds maybe drift to, right, that's not me. I'm the most humble being in the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about pride is it, it has many faces. It just is, you know, sometimes we may think of the most affluent, influential, rich, wealthy person who's the most prideful person, whatever it might be. But like Crystal said, it is an issue of the heart, and um, we need not to deem it big and disgusting. Sometimes pride is just the attitude that we have towards one another. Mm-hmm. The attitude towards that attitude that we have towards a neighbor, a coworker, a boss. And God cares deeply about that. You think about the fall of Satan, you know, itself, not to go there with some kind of sci-fi-ish storyline, but wasn't the crux of Satan's attitude was, was steeped in pride. Yeah. And often we probably think that that's why God has such a, um, a belligerent, that's the right word to use, um, strong stance with, with pride. Let's just bow our heads close in prayer. I know we've been here for some time. Um, don't worry, they weren't beating that kid back there. He's just expressing himself. <laughs>